We're fucking cheers, bud. Cheers, big guy. Get her going. <laughs> just, Peter Patter, get out of here. Peter Patter, <laughs> yeah, just two fucking dirtbag Canadians. Yeah, let's fucking go. I'm gonna let my smoke up. <laughs> we really haven't hung out with each other in person, like, properly we, since the pandemic. It's been a while. It's like, nice to see you, buddy. It is. It's great to see you. This is my good friend and reporting partner throughout this series, Mac Lemmer. We started all this work on the base back in 2018. And so as we were wrapping up this series, I told Mac I wanted to get beers with him to talk about this reporting and how back then no one really thought this whole thing was much of a big deal at all. It was a novel thing we were doing, like to go after and investigate a neo-Nazi terror group. And I remember we had people and like, people were like our wondering world, what we were doing. Why are you doing that? Yeah. I remember both of us just like, you know, this is a real thing. This is gonna yeah. be a problem. And it's like, I don't like the fact that we were proven right. Do you know yeah, what I mean? it's weird. Yeah, like, it's like we were right. You don't. You, neither of us have said I told you so, and it's a very I don't want to say I told you so moment. But I, we told them so. It's like it's it's hard to look at what's happening right now and see a good end to it. There's always another group. There's always another fucking thing. It, it, it's this never-ending, rolling. Shitstorm. Yeah, of just death and fucking decay and shit. And it yeah. Fucking sucks. <laughs> like I kind of wanted this project, like this podcast, to be the end, because <laughs> I, yeah. I I don't think I can do it anymore. This isn't the first time I've heard you say I want to leave. I know. Yeah. I I said it all the time, but now I'm like pretty serious. This about is the it. first but, time I've seen you take actual steps to leave. I mean, how do you feel about me leaving it, not wanting to be an extremism reporter anymore? I think it's good that you're kind of bringing up wanting to go. This beat is, it's toxic. Because it everything about this is corrosive. The ideology is corrosive. The people are corrosive. Everything is fucking corrosive. That like extends to the voyeurs like us, right? Like yeah. the people watching them. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I fucking hope this is the end for me. <laughs> me too, dude. <laughs> it's good. I like seeing you happy. Also just like, I want to exit, but uh, as you know, I'm an obsessive person. Like every time I get a new piece of information, I'm like, I get this like, Alarm and I'm like, yeah, fucking, yeah, yeah. let's go, ding, let's ding, do ding. this. Ding, yeah. ding, 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 and then it's like, what's that line in The Godfather? Like, the Sopranos always like parodied it. Like, well, when I'm out, they, they just they bring, me, bring they, me back. They in. drag me back in. Yeah, well, every time I try, every get time up, they I pull me, they back, pull me in. back in. Do you actually think you're going? Do you think you're gonna stop? From Vice News and Gimlet. I'm Ben Maku, and this is American Terror. Episode 8, A Forever War. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. The FBI has taken down members of the base throughout the United States in the last two to three years. This past summer, 
a bunch of new information came out about attacks planned by the members of a base cell in Michigan. So a little bit uh, of background, just generally speaking, on the base. The base is the literal translation of Al-Qaeda. This is the attorney general of Michigan, Dana Nessel, at a press conference just after the conviction. They are interested in inciting a race war, and they'd like to create a white ethno-state. The base is a designated terrorist organization in Canada, the United Kingdom, and Australia. According to police, the leader of the Michigan cell, Justin Watkins, and other members had been plotting for years to commit acts of mass violence that they hoped would incite a race war, which, of course, is one of the base's main goals. I truly believe that we prevented a massacre of untold proportions by investigating this case and moving in and charging when we did. They plotted the mass murder of police and minorities and to attack the vice office in Brooklyn, which I'd never heard about in all my reporting. And honestly, it surprised me. It was surreal to see the place where you were excited in an indictment against a terrorist group. I'm no stranger to death threats, but hearing that they had plans in place to attack my colleagues and my friends, it felt like the stakes had been amped up. I also thought about the guy behind all of this, just chilling at his home in Russia, Ronaldo Nazaro. Um, next, I have a question from Ben at Vice News. So at this press conference, when it's my turn to ask the attorney general a question, I name him directly. Yes, thank you. Uh, I was just wondering, the the leader of the base or the founder, uh, Ronaldo Nazaro, <clears throat> who lives in Russia, was he at all involved in this? So the law enforcement agency where this originated is with the FBI. So they were the primary agency handling the investigation. And regarding um, Nazaro, uh, um, the information that we have is that he he was involved, in, at least in his vetting um, procedures and getting accepted to the base, that he did have contact with Nazaro. Would that involve, I mean, any alleged crimes that he committed as well? I can't really comment on any of their investigation if they have one on Mr. Nazaro. It felt like the government was acting. They had arrested 12 members of the base in the past few years, but they hadn't gotten the founder, the guy who started all this, organized them all. Because even though they claimed to be leaderless, Nazaro had always either been the literal leader, screening recruits and organizing paramilitary training, or their philosophical leader putting out video messages. I knew he was still out there, living in Russia, sending missives over Telegram, and the base was still active. So there goes that alarm in my head. Ding, ding, ding. And I decide it's time to talk to him. I'm in Brooklyn at the home of a colleague. Our whole team is here, chatting pretty casually, drinking coffee. All right, so Ben, just like tell us what you're about, what we're about to do. Uh, we are about to speak to Ronaldo Nazaro. I'm about to call into an interview that's been nearly four years in the making with the founder of the neo-Nazi terror group, The Base. AKA uh, Roman Wolf and Norman Spear. How long have you been? How long have we, have he and I had, had correspondence? I think since actually like, man, fall 2018. I started this reporting back in 2018, before most people had ever heard of The Base. 
back when Nazaro was still an avatar on Twitter. First Norman Spear, and then Roman Wolf. And at one point, an unknown voice on a recording. What is your uh, ethnicity? What is your religious uh, background or beliefs? Back when Nazaro first started recruiting white men to join the base. So what is your ideology? So how did you hear about the base exactly? Would you also feel comfortable training in the firearms? Our article was the first to blow their cover. Nazaro was clearly the group's founder, but he had built a structure where he could maintain plausible deniability, encouraging the base's growth through a network of different cells, not unlike Al-Qaeda or ISIS, which allowed him to always claim to be one step removed, yet always nearby. But then things started to collapse. We had sources infiltrating their chats. We started publishing articles. Other outlets came down on them too. And so did the federal government. The vandalism of a Racine synagogue in September is helping shine a light on the base, which the FBI describes as a, quote, white racially motivated extremist group. The Virginia cell of his neo-Nazi terror group gets taken out. And just two days ago, three other men alleged to be base members were arrested. Investigators believe they were plotting to attend the Virginia rally with hopes of starting a racial war. And then a cell in Georgia and Michigan. Three men are under arrest, accused of being part of an extremist group plotting to murder a couple in Bartow County. Law enforcement around the country have been put on alert by the FBI, Homeland Security, and the National Counterterrorism Center. By early 2020, the base was in freefall, and Nazaro went silent for about a year. But then he reappeared, started posting again, to his Telegram and BitChute, this weird mega video streaming site where he sometimes shitposted or ranted about topics ranging from women and woke politics to military tactics and operations. He did all this, allegedly, from his home in St. Petersburg, Russia, where he's been living with his wife and children for years. And now I've finally gotten this guy to agree to a live interview, because what he says might tell us more about the base and other far-right extremist groups, and the threat they pose. Let's see how the weather is in St. Petersburg. Hello? Hello. Hi, how you doing? All right, how are you? Good, good. So I guess, actually, what do I call you? Do you want to be called Ron Ronaldo? Do you want to be called one of your one of your names? Uh, yeah, you can just refer to me as a Norman or Roman. Norman or Roman, Either. okay, works for me. Which okay, fine. But in my reporting, of course, I call him Ronaldo Nazaro because that's his name. So we've obviously had some contentious exchanges in the past through email and about my reporting on the base, and I'm interested, you know. I want to hear where you think we've gone wrong. You know, I, I know that 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 we are ideologically on opposite sides of the fence, and I don't expect that to change. I don't expect you or you know others in your profession, for the most part, to embrace you know me in any way. So now, I mean, as far as you specifically, um, uh, you know, you guys pretty much. Um, are the ones who who got the spotlight you know, sh- shined on us 
by infiltrating our chat room. And that kind of is what set the tone. I think Nazaro knows I've seen all the online chats, heard all the recruitment calls, seen all their propaganda videos, and he's read all of my reporting, meticulously. At least, I think. But at first, he tries to say the issue is me. You know, you guys were in there for a couple months, and, you know, you're kind of lurking, and then out of all that context, just cherry-picking certain st- stuff to, I think, come up with kind of a very, kind of like a, like a scare-mongering type of, type of piece. Which is, of course, untrue. I've poured over the chat logs, and my reporting reflects it. Nothing has been taken out of context. And that's why I'm being careful about what parts of this interview I share. And I'm checking his lies. Because I don't want this to turn into just one more platform. Four years ago, when I first started looking into Nazro, he was still somewhat anonymous. And that allowed him to be a little more open with what he was doing and who he wanted to recruit into the base. You did seek out nationalists, though. I remember that that WordPress site yeah. was very clear that you wanted right, nationalists. Right. Right. I mean, we were looking for certain type type of members, but um, once people were in, I mean, ideology really did not come into play. But the recordings were pretty clear. He wanted people who were neo-Nazis, who had read Siege, or were willing to. And back then, Nazro was clearly the leader. He led the vetting calls, trying to bring on new recruits. When members were arrested, he tried to calm people down. But as of now he claims to no longer be in charge. So you're the founder. You say you're no longer the leader of the base and that you're no longer affiliated. Is it still active? Yes. Yeah, base is still active. Mm-hmm. What, in your words, was the original goal of the base? Well, the original goal was to be a survivalism and self-defense network for uh Men of European descent. That, that was the goal. This has always been Nazaro's line about the base. And it's simply a lie. Base members have openly discussed weapons training, bomb making, and praised mass murderers like the Pittsburgh and Christchurch shooters. I mean, there were, like, there were weapons manuals and bomb making manuals. Well, and I mean, the thing is, like, if, right. if, even if you take that out of context, and how, do you, how do you sort of justify that? Right. Well... I mean, I put a caveat up front in that chat to not discuss any kind of violence or targeting things and mm-hmm. stuff like that. What is true is that Nazaro has always been very careful to cover his own ass. Especially on the internet, where it was all being written down or potentially recorded and could be shared. He was very much aware of this risk of legal action. Here he is on a recruiting call in 2019. Oh, that's, that's a good question, yeah. How does that work? Uh, through economic sabotage, just bombings, arson. Um, <laughs> whoa, 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 okay. All right, Let's slow down there a little bit. Um, <laughs> just, for, just for your own sake as well, I don't recommend, you know, being kind of so cavalier about that type of thing. Because um, you, you could really land yourself in a lot of trouble very easily. I, I mean, just, I by what, just, 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 by, just by what you said to me right now. But in person, apparently, Nazaro told a different story. The infiltrator, the guy who recorded hours and hours of base calls and chats, 
He mentioned to me many times about how Nazaro said the whole survivalist angle thing, it was bullshit. So yeah, the publicly stated goal of the base, to survive the inevitable downfall of society, to train for it. But the infiltrator says that Nazaro himself said that the actual goal within the group is to bring about that collapse. Nazaro explicitly warned members to keep discussions of their actions offline and to only plan things they could get away with. In a chat in 2018, he writes, quote, be less concerned with legalities and more concerned with getting caught. That's how risk should be measured. Can I do X and reasonably get away with it? So keep that in mind as we get deeper into this interview. Uh, wait, hold on a second. No problem. It's around this point, about 30 minutes into our call, that I think I can hear Nazaro's family in the background, his wife and daughters. It's another reminder of how he's been able to avoid responsibility, in large part because he's not in the U.S. The whole idea is because, unlike a, a, a run-of-the-mill prepper group, you know, who, and what, I'm, what I mean by that is typically when people think of preppers, mm-hmm. you think of people who are in fear of a collapse scenario, you know, and are trying to prepare to, to survive that. And um, it's a very kind of just defensive posture. Where you kind, of want, it, hand, you kind of want it to happen. No? Right, exactly. And to me, that is the defini- definition of an accelerationist. To be an accelerationist means you want acceleration. You're a fan of accelerationism. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily actively trying to cause acceleration. And that's a pretty important distinction. But Nazaro wasn't just prepping and egging members on. He was preparing for a civil war. In 2018, he purchased 30 acres of remote, undeveloped land in northeastern Washington state. Nazaro himself even says it was meant to be a training ground. When you purchased the property in Washington state, then what was the plan and, and why there? Uh, so, um, as I said, you know, starting out, I mean, the, the name of the base is, is I had in mind from day one. Um, us having a series of bug-out locations. Bug-out is military jargon. It's a term for retreat. The idea is that the land gave them a location to fall back to when the collapse happens. The bug-out locations would be dual, dual purpose, like dual use. You know, but pre-collapse, they'd be used for training, and post-collapse, they'd be used as bases. And to me, knowing what I've learned over the course of this reporting, it was clear that the so-called collapse they were training for was the race war the base wants to help start. So in 2018, he buys up this land and begins recruiting racist young white men for this pseudo-insurgency. And then just a year later, Nazaro comes to the States for a visit, posts pictures all over his social media of the places he's visiting, in New York, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, in one photo, Nazaro appears to be with two other members. One is the infiltrator. They have skull masks on, and they're in Central Park. What was that whole tour about? Well, you know, to, to launch a new group like that, I really felt I needed to have boots on the ground and, and kind of rally the troops and get guys motivated and to take it seriously. So by 2019, it's documented that the base is organizing. 
meeting up and training in real life, acquiring weapons, land, and explosives. And that's when my reporting partner, Mac Lamoureux, and I began putting out article after article. And governments across the world started to take notice. Good morning. Today I'm announcing my intention to list the base and the entirety of Hezbollah as terrorist organizations. Do you reject the label of white supremacist or terrorist? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Multiple governments around the world have not only described the base as a terrorist organization, they've been designated a terrorist. It has been designated a terrorist organization, you know, Canada, UK, etc. Even similar to things like ISIS or Hezbollah. I mean, how do you respond to that? Well, I think that's ridiculous. I come from that background professionally. I mean, the standard for what for, for what terrorism should be from a technical standpoint, let's say, is is you know, on a political level, is just used like way way too broadly, and it's just waters it down to the point of irrelevant. And there's a hint of truth in that. Over the years, the government has used the word terrorist to dismantle legitimate political and social movements, the civil rights, labor, and environmental movements, just to name a few. But the base clearly has terroristic aspirations. What they are doing is based in violent, militant white supremacy, full stop. Members have plotted murders in Rome, Georgia, They've defaced a synagogue, threatened activists and journalists, and plotted mass shootings, including an attack that was planned at a political rally in Richmond, Virginia, in the hopes it would incite a civil war. The guy who partly planned that last attack, Patrick Matthews, actually fled Canada to the US with the help of the base. And it's clear from the chats that Nazaro knew that transporting Matthews across the border was illegal, a federal crime. Can you take me back there, you know, to 2019, 2020? What was it like when those arrests started happening? Um, for me personally, it was shocking. I mean, I, I was totally blindsided. I had no idea what could be the justification. Why were these guys, guys getting arrested? Because as far as I knew, they hadn't broken any laws. Um, well, with, with the exception of Matthews crossing the border. So... I was totally blindsided. It took a while to figure out what the hell was going on. I mean, I had to read the news mm-hmm. to figure out what the charges were, what they supposedly did. And I mean, when I read through it, it just seemed like unreal. Do you feel any responsibility for it? No, I don't see. No, I don't. I mean, like I said, I had no, I, I had no knowledge about anything that anyone was allegedly doing that was illegal. And I press Nazra on this because even if he wasn't the one that planned these actions, he got everyone in the room together. He created the echo chamber that led to this violence, pointed them to hyper-violent neo-Nazi literature, encouraged them to meet and train. I guess when I ask about responsibility, the reason is, you know, obviously you have people like Luke Lane who are quite young uh, and others that are, you know, facing, they're in jail or facing sentences, et cetera. But, you know, none of this would have happened if you hadn't, you hadn't created the base. So that's what I mean. Do you feel responsible or any part of responsibility? No, because a couple of reasons. One, that that was not the purpose of the base. The purpose of the base was not to conduct attacks or plan violence. So, you know, it's people do on their own time outside the base um, is 
there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, I, I'm not I like people think some kind of leader that people have to swear allegiance to me or listen to what I say. People don't listen to what I say. <laughs> okay, all I could do is encourage people to, uh, you know, to, to, to train and to stick to the mission. And remember what he said according to the infiltrator. The real mission here is to accelerate violence and bring about the collapse of society. I mean, I, listen, you know that I've seen the chats, you know, I've, I've gone through them. I mean, there's clearly a lot of conversation around, you know, this is a secretive, you know, whether or not there were active plans or not, it was a secretive violent organization that, you know, espoused pretty extreme political viewpoints. Don't you think that there was some sort of atmosphere in which that could be something that people wanted to do? was kill, you know, Antifa members or shoot up a gun rally. Well, I, I, I wouldn't characterize the base as violent and secretive. I mean, it, we weren't violent. I don't see what was violent. As far, again, as far as the base's official mission and, and anything that I encouraged people to do, you know, it was just completely legal training. I mean, they very clearly in both cases talked about this was the moment. This could be the moment of, you know, to bring collapse, create a second civil war. I think even Matthews says outright, this could bring, you know, this could cause the civil war if we go to the Virginia gun rally and shoot it up. Right, well, okay. I mean, that's like a huge can of worms. Mm -hmm. both of, yeah, first of all, first of all, I don't, I, I believe that they were, they were set up. Um, I don't, you know, my knowledge of what their plans were, and this is I'm talking about Matthews and Lemley, was not to go shoot up the rally. They expected that there was just going to be a, a natural, voluntary, um, volatile mix of these, you know, Second Amendment patriot militia types and Antifa. And that there was inevitably going to be clashes. And because there was going to be all these weapons there, hmm. that this was just going to turn into this violent situation. This is not true. These two base members, Matthews and Lemley, were both sentenced to nine years in federal prison. According to the Department of Justice, they'd been stockpiling ammunition for months. They specifically talked about how their initial violence at the Virginia gun rally would be the spark to, quote, cause chaos, all in an effort to advance their white nationalist beliefs. They hoped this would lead to mass murder. In their mind, they were hoping, because they're accelerationists, that this would pop off some kind of civil war. This would be the opening shot, yeah, the opening, you know, salvo in this civil war. And I'm very aware that you've had experience with, you know, some pretty secretive parts of the U.S. military. Uh, what did you do with the Special Forces and JSOC in particular? JSOC is short for Joint Special Operations Command. It's the most secretive part of the U.S. military. During the War on Terror, it was a critical component in the Global Kill Capture campaign against Al-Qaeda and ISIS. I can't, I can't really get into any of that. I mean, all I can say is that I was, um, you know, for, for most of my career, you know, which spans... 17 years, I was you know, primarily involved in um, analysis. And targeting, correct? So, yeah. Yeah, some targeting. 
According to what I know, coming from some very secretive places, Nazra worked as a contractor with U.S. Special Forces, helping the U.S. military determine what targets were worthy of being attacked. So he was never a soldier in uniform, but was very much a player in the U.S. war machine. To be in a job like that, where you're assessing terrorist targets, you have to understand how terror groups and guerrilla fighters operate, how an insurgency is fought. I guess what I'm saying is clearly you had an understanding of what, you know, a terrorist organization was, and you also understood yeah. how they operated, you know, very, in a very specific way, and a, a skill set that I think m- most people don't have. <laughs> yeah, that's true. How did that, did those experiences influence your worldview? They, they added to it. It was really a long process, I would just say, of growing uh, increasingly cynical from really the very beginning of my career with the government. Um, it, it just kind of built up over time. I kind of went to Iraq, uh, deployed to Iraq kind of on a whim to a certain extent. Um, again, just looking for like a change of pace, trying to just reinvigorate my enthusiasm for my profession. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, hell, that's that's a great place to do it. It's like where the point tip of the spear, you know, where the rubber meets the road, sort of thing. So, and so, you know, after seeing a lot of stuff I saw in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, that that kind of pretty much is what I would say put me over the edge to realizing that, in my view, the problem was the system uh, itself. So you've been really open about moving back to Russia or moving to Russia. Uh, obviously, you have a Russian wife. Uh, what's your current situation there right now? Are you working? More after the break. I'm pretty sure at this point, Nazaro couldn't enter the U.S. without being detained and he's likely on the U.S. no-fly list. And I think he knows this, too, because he's lived in Russia for years now. And Nazarow living in Russia has been both a sticking point for the media and for his own recruits. In private messages, members of the base expressed fear that Nazarow may be a Russian state actor. And it's a fair concern. The man worked for the Pentagon, worked in Iraq and Afghanistan, had top-secret clearances, and now he's just living unbothered in Russia? So you've been really open about moving back to Russia or moving to Russia. Uh, obviously, you have a Russian wife. Uh, what's your current situation there right now? Are you working? Uh, I'm, I'm unemployed at the moment. I was, you know, I was, after I was docs, I mean, I really think a lot I could do. Um, but thankfully, I have made some good investments in the past that, kind of help me financially mm-hmm. to keep going. Cost of living here is much lower. That also helps. And then, you know, some other just smaller revenue streams. I know you've told me in the past that you've denied any connection to the Russian government, but do you have any connection to the Russian government? No, not at all. Not at all. I've never, I have never had any contact with any Russian security services or military at all, ever. Never? They never approached you? No, 
Never. I've been to Russia several times. I spent a lot of time there. I've actually been to St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do know that someone like yourself, who's had a top secret clearance before, that's an American, would even just pass through the customs, you would right. certainly set off some alarm bells. Obviously, the BBC said that you were at a Russian government conference, I believe. I'm well, just wondering, like, how is how is that possible? Right. Well, the, the conference, okay, well, first of all, I, I don't know. I can speculate based on my own, my, my experience as an intelligence you know, professional that typically you, uh, when, when assets or agents recruited, no matter what government it is, including the United States government, they're looking for people who have placement and access, current placement and access, you know, who can provide current information. Like all information I have is, first of all, dated. Second of all, I mean, it's probably nothing that the Russians don't already know. Um, it, it, that, that, I mean, I just have to chalk it up to that. So Nazaro doesn't answer my question about the conference and his possible links to the Russian government. And honestly, it doesn't take too many steps to get to the possible conclusion that the Russian government, which sowed disinformation about U.S. elections, might also want to foment a race war and a neo-Nazi insurgency in the U.S. I know you were interested in the war in Ukraine previously. How has the war in Ukraine affected you now? Because, you know, clearly you live in Russia. The war in Ukraine is is happening. It's really escalated. And there's clearly been members of the movement who've gone over to fight in Ukraine. What's your perception of it now? Uh, well, I think that... Um, I don't really want to comment too much on it. I'd say then, um, you know, it, it it's uh, unfortunate, unfortunate conflicts that I, I just hope ends quickly and can be resolved as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, um, that's really all I want to say on it. Are you nervous to talk about it? Uh, no, I'm not nervous. I just don't see that it really applies to, it doesn't really apply to me or the base. It's just, kind of random topic. It's kind of off topic. The best uh, way to make use of, of Ukraine is use it as a resource for our guys who have the, the ability to travel out there for training to do it. Because they can come back and they can bring that knowledge back to us. So this is Nazaro on a recruiting call from 2020, talking about how important the war in Ukraine was to the base because it could be used as a training ground. Ukraine is exactly where we want to be, <laughs> really, you know, like, in, I mean, like that's where we're trying to get in, in our own like, location. For the base, the connections to Ukraine aren't random at all. Do you think you'll ever serve any time in jail? Who knows? I know that's always a possibility because considering how much people hate me and you know accuse me of all kinds of of, of things that I haven't done. Um, so you'd never, and, and, for example, go to a country where the U.S. could actually extradite you. Uh, well, I mean, I live in Russia, so I really just feel my family's here. I have that's really my, what's keeping me here. Mm-hmm. That's what brought me here, and that's why I'm staying. Um, I mean. I would have, I would, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have any reason to leave. So I don't plan on it. 
Well, okay. On that note, uh, I appreciate the time you've taken to uh, speak with me. Um, enjoy the rest of your Friday. All right. You too. Thanks. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Bye. I spent a lot of my weekends trying to chill out like everybody else. But with this kind of work, that can be hard sometimes. Nazaro represents the continuation of the U.S.'s longest forever war, a fight against far-right extremism that literally goes back decades and decades, from the founding of this country all the way to the present. Later, I'll talk to the FBI and they'll confirm what I've long suspected, that they are investigating Nazaro. Since Mac and I started reporting, far-right extremism across the country has exploded. The FBI has undertaken sweeping nationwide counterterrorism investigations into multiple groups, arresting hundreds of people. They've cultivated informants and infiltrated cells. But even then, it hasn't stopped the movement in its tracks. And it feels like these groups and their vile racist ideologies are spreading unchecked being cited by mass shooters, endorsed by mainstream media, and even by some members of the Republican Party. What happened here is simple and straightforward. Terrorism. Terrorism. Domestic terrorism. White supremacy is a poison running through our body politic. And the violence we reported on, well, it feels like it's more mainstream too. Has there been a lot of an increased threat in the last few years taking on this job? But not only that, going through the pandemic and going through all this tumultuous political action, essentially. In the last few years, in the last 24 hours, I had somebody come by my house yesterday, um, then got out of their car, went on the lawn and started taking pictures of my house. This is the Attorney General of Michigan, Dana Nessel. I asked her a question at that press conference months ago after members of the base in Michigan were charged. On me, I was getting text messages on my personal phone that were death threats. Um, yeah, there, there were times where I thought, I don't know what's making this job worth it for me, you know? And if anything happens to anyone in my family, you know, I got kids, um, I'm married. If anything happens to my family, I'm responsible. And is this job really worth it? I've talked a lot about death threats, how they've affected how I live my daily life how I've had to take different routes home from work every day, how I often fear for my family or colleagues. And so I could relate. Your office has taken, you know, has taken on domestic terrorism and extremism in a serious way. Obviously you have the, the kidnapping and assassination plot of Governor Whitmer uh, and the base. Do you think that this is a broadly a major problem across the U.S. right now? Absolutely. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, I don't think in my lifetime I've ever seen anything like this. And obviously, you know, I was around, I was a prosecutor during the uh, Timothy McVeigh uh, Oklahoma City bombing. And that brought to uh, our attention domestic terrorism in a pretty major way. But I think the difference then is that there was bipartisan consensus on tackling the problem. Now you have a division between the parties and, and you have one party that still wants to aggressively combat domestic terrorism and you have another party that seemingly condones it, might even support it. 
Now, it's possible the Attorney General is a bit nostalgic for the past, in that I do think this issue has always been somewhat divided along partisan lines. But it really is striking to see just how unwilling the GOP has become to even acknowledge the problem, let alone actually address it. In May 2022, after the mass shooting in Buffalo, New York, Democrats put forward a bill that would set up offices at the Justice Department, the FBI, and the Department of Homeland Security to combat domestic terrorism. Senate Republicans blocked a bill Democrats hoped would work to combat domestic terrorism and bolster federal law enforcement's efforts to address white supremacy. And all voting Republican senators voted to block the bill. Republicans say their colleagues on the other side are politicizing tragedies. It will set up more of government agencies that presume your guilt, but it's an insult to our armed services, to our police, and to anybody who works in law enforcement. I see Republicans out there that, you know, seemingly they don't want to condemn domestic terrorism. Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar has come under scrutiny in the last two months for his alleged role in the Capitol riot. Now Gosar is taking heat again, this time for headlining a white supremacist group's annual convention. Members of Congress like Marjorie Taylor Greene feed these conspiracies. I proudly objected on January 6th. I would object again today because I know for a fact there was so much wrong in that election and I believe it was stolen. Do I know how? No. They don't want to condemn groups like the Proud Boys or the Three Percenters or any of those organizations because they're seen as their supporters at this point. Proud Boys came to one of my events and that was one of the proudest moments of my life. Where we're at right now, it's a difficult reality to face. To exist amongst so much racist rage, hatred, and violence. To understand the ways that our democratic institutions are fragile and under threat, that our loved ones could be too. And sometimes, amidst all this, not knowing what the solutions are. Like I said to Mac, after years of reporting on this, I'm sick of this. But the thing that I know, after staring this directly in the face, is that we can't just tune it out or walk away. Like, that's truly just not an option. You need to see these guys in the light. You need to know the playbook they're following, the language they speak, the literature they read, how they organize, and the types of people that join up. Because far-right extremism is bleeding into the mainstream of US politics. I don't know if we should even call them fringe anymore. The impact is beyond targeted bombings or the horrific onslaught of mass shootings. The impact will also be in our elections and the political future of our country. And if these people, the most racist, anti-Semitic and misogynistic among us, are occupying that space, we're gonna continue to pull them out of the shadows because we know their bullshit tactics, their playbooks, and their terrifying goals. We know how they operate. And now you do too. American Terror is a Spotify original podcast from Vice Audio and Gimlet Media. 
It's reported by me, Ben Maku, as well as Mac Lamara, Ashley Cleek, Sam Egan, Sophie Kazis, and Zachary Kamel. It's produced by Sam Egan and Sophie Kazis, and executive produced by Ashley Cleek, and by Colin Campbell and Nicole Beamsterboer from Gimlet. Sound design and original music composition by Pran Bandy. Editing by Kate Osborne from Vice Audio and Brendan Klinkenberg from Gimlet. Janet Lee is the senior production manager at Vice Audio. Fact-checking by Maximo Anderson and Nicole Pasulka. Joshua Fisher-Birch was our expert consultant. Special thanks to Katie Sheward, Miguel Fernandez-Flores, Anna Sebeskin, Mac Lamara, Tim Marchman, Josh Visser, Kisa White, and The Infiltrator for risking his life to bring this story to the public. Thanks to Jonathan Crone for his reporting on the murder of Blaze Bernstein for Mother Jones. I'm Ben Maku.